Welcome, everyone, to This Must Be Pop. I'm your host, Anna, and I'm joined again by a friend of the podcast, who you all know from our JC episodes, Sasha. Welcome, Sasha. Thank you very much. Nice to be back. So Sasha and I had the pleasure of going to one of the Pop 2000 shows, and for this episode, we are going to do an overview and recap from our experience there. Before we start, just want to give a shout out to the Pop 2000 team, including Matt Raffle, as well as the staff from Indian Ranch in Webster, Massachusetts. Everyone there were so nice and welcoming and provided us with all of the access and press passes. And we even got to be on stage during the show, which we'll talk about. Uh, But it was just a really cool experience. And we're so grateful to everyone involved. Also want to give another shout out to the folks over at the record company in Boston. Thank you to the other Matt. (laughs) And thank you for letting us use this new space. This is awesome. Because Sasha joined us for our JC episodes, we actually wanted to start with a little InSync and JC. It's crazy that we recorded that a little over a year ago. It's wild. Yeah. And so much has happened in the past year. So we wanted to talk about what's happened during that time, as well as some questions and feedback that we got. So... We had a couple of listener questions, um, but we also got a bunch of compliments from listeners for doing a detailed yet respectful episode about JC. They acknowledged the trickiness of a lot of the subject matter, especially surrounding the Kate album. Absolutely. We really did try our best and we did a lot of research and we are grateful that you are all grateful. So thank you. So we had a couple of listener questions, though, <laughs> a couple directed specifically at Sasha. So one listener asked, how did Sasha find out about NSYNC if they didn't have cable? And I didn't ask this because we didn't do an NSYNC episode. It was supposed to be about <laughs> JC. And then, of course, we started talking about NSYNC and it took up a majority of the episode. It was a question from a listener because most Americans found out about NSYNC at the Disney Channel special. So for you to not have cable growing up. It's a it's a actually a pretty good question. But yeah, where did you find out about NSYNC? It's difficult to say specifically, but my memory of it is third grade. I would have been eight and it would have been like 1997, 1998, eight or nine years old. And I remember a couple kids in class were really into Hanson. Someone even had a Hanson cassette and I can remember going over to their house and listening specifically to the cassette, not even the CD. And I never really got into Hanson, but from there, this little clique formed of people, you know, girls in elementary school who were really into music. And one of them knew about NSYNC. I have no idea how she found out about NSYNC. Because they hadn't hit in the U.S. yet. They had not really hit in the U.S. yet. But she knew about NSYNC. You know, she had a lot of older cousins, too. I remember Mm -hmm. specifically who it was. Anyway. So one girl in that clique knew NSYNC and was really into them and just swore that they were better than everything else. And so she made it (laughs) seem really cool. And so the rest of us also followed suit and got into NSYNC. The first CD I ever bought myself with my own money was the God Must Have Spent single. Sorry, this is what I had. It was 1998, but I had the Australian version. You had the Australian (laughs) version. That's why I was having a hard time finding it. I'm sorry. And the B-side, so it's, it's God Must Have Spent Sailing. And then the CD was one of those like interactive CDs that were like big for a short period of time in the early 2000s, late 90s. It came with a music video. Came with a music video and (laughs) came with a couple interviews on it. That's cool. And that's the first CD I ever bought. That's cool. Um, So that's 1998. So there you go. Okay. So the next question is, how did Sasha get into JC's solo club tour at 13 (laughs) years old? A lot of his shows were 18 plus and many fans were not old enough to attend. So immediately after we released the podcast, Anna hit me up with this question and it's a really good one because (laughs) the show was at the Avalon, which was almost always 18 plus. Mm. So I have no idea. It's such a great question. And I, I, it, it is something that, like, if I had done something nefarious, like, I had a fake ID for a while that was not for drinking, but was for getting me into shows. Of course. But I don't think I had it as young as 13. I think I had that when I was, like, 16. So the real answer is I'm not sure. I did go to the show with some friends of mine who were older. They were in their 
teens and 20s and they would have been old enough to get into the show. It's very possible they bought the tickets and because it was an 18 plus show, they weren't carting except for drinking. And so it's it's really possible that I wasn't supposed to get in and I just got in for that reason. It's also possible that it was a fluke all ages show and yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry I don't have a better answer for that. I have a feeling that it had to have been all ages. I suspect that it would have been. Because it was all ages for O-Town. I don't know. They definitely had all ages shows, but I do I do remember a lot of their shows were 18 plus. And I, I was a tall 13 year old, but I was not an old looking 13 <laughs> year old. It would have been very obvious I was not 18. It's just such a shame that he was doing shows at clubs that were 18 plus though because it kind of goes back to the point of jc's team didn't have a good understanding of the audience absolutely yeah Yeah. he's his shows would have i mean actually to my memory i believe the avalon show was sold out Mm -hmm. but he could have done a a multi-night stretch there if he wanted to if it was all ages for sure okay so the next question and i loved this question (laughs) uh who do you think is the jc of one direction (laughs) And I have an answer that I wrote down here, but I don't, I'm curious if you have an answer. You know, it's so funny because I know we talked a lot about fashion and we talked about the, you know, threads between JC and the similarities between JC's fashion and Harry's fashion. And again, the fluidity, mm-hmm. but I don't know One Direction all that well. Mm-hmm. However, once I watched an episode of James Corden's show and they were like doing this game and whoever lost the game had to get a tattoo and I remember just how sincere Niall did not want to lose the game because he really <laughs> didn't want his first tattoo to be something stupid. He didn't want a tattoo and everybody else was like joking and playing around. He kept being like, but no guys, really. Like, <laughs> And for whatever reason, that resonates with me as JC. Oh my God. That's so funny. That Oh my God. Yes. That would like, be JC. Like trying to be a really good sport, but also be like, the, um, no. <laughs> Niall was about to have a panic attack. You yeah. could tell <laughs> on television. <laughs> Here's my answer. So Niall's humbleness, and now we can add fear of needles. <laughs> yeah. I, that might have been a contributing factor, too. Yeah. Uh, Harry's stage presence, sure. I think JC has. Zane's vocal ability and shyness is very similar to JC. And Louis's love of songwriting and black tank tops. I love that. <laughs> it's perfect. So right after this recording, we actually found out that JC and Liam are working on a song together. Really looking forward to hear what they create. They certainly both deserved better solo careers, and hopefully JC can help Liam through that. Now we are going to get into some recent appearances that JC has done since the airing of the podcast episode. and again, I know you covered this a little bit, but I can't believe that the podcast is so much like, where has JC been? And then you release the podcast and suddenly JC is everywhere. That's the answer. I feel like we are partially responsible for <laughs> I, JC's reissue. I, 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 there's a direct line between the release of that episode and JC starting a TikTok. <laughs> literally, <laughs> it though. Like instantaneous. Literally, it was the next day. <laughs> crazy <laughs> yeah jc goes on tiktok jc appears on cody rigsby's show lol cody which was so fun yeah. <laughs> loved every second of that it was just interesting to me because jc seemed so humble when talking to cody and cody was just praising the shit out of him <laughs> it was great so jc was then on lance's frosted tips podcast that was a really good episode it was it's so clear that they have kept up over all this time, too, yes. and it's really fun to to be reminded of that. Exactly. Uh, one thing was the mention of the Kate album. Lance had asked JC about doing a sophomore release, and JC talks about how he started it. He started the project, but his heart wasn't in it. And I just thought that that was so interesting because, I mean, we know that he did some promotion for it. He tried to get it out there, but it's interesting to kind of see him talk about it but in a way where as if it wasn't a big deal yeah you know there's been a lot of time and a lot of distance I it's funny it, the thought hasn't occurred to me until right now but his heart wasn't in it he wasn't able to get it on the radio etc all of that tracks and I'd be curious if he's happy about that now that that record's not really out in the world it's mm. not deeply associated with his career in right. any way and in this day and age with social media if he wanted to if he finished that record and it wasn't getting picked up by a label and he wanted to put out in the world he could easily self-release 
on the internet and then you know 20 years down the line 15 years down the line what does that look like if it turns out his heart wasn't in it right there was at the pop 2000 tour chris talked a little bit about how he was glad that at the peak of their career social media didn't exist and every moment that they had wasn't posted online <laughs> which makes sense <laughs> because they're just like dudes in their 20s uh, right <laughs> <laughs> but for one direction yeah i know really <laughs> and with that i i'd be curious just if jc feels the same about the album for or sure. not if he's if he's grateful that that's not the way the release went or if he has other feelings about it well jc if you would ever like to be interviewed <laughs> we're open good job <laughs> very good very good way of handling that <laughs> i'm trying <laughs> i'm trying here Next is the Meow Mix campaign. That's been my favorite part of all of this. <laughs> it's such a, it came out of nowhere for, for, for me. It came out of nowhere. It's so over the top. It's it so true to JC. It really is. Because we're now like JC experts. And this kind of tracks <laughs> with his like kookiness that he has. <laughs> it's so, and you're right. No, no rain, huh? I'm sorry. <laughs> so listeners can't see your notes. No, <laughs> listeners cannot see the notes. But I did make a note that I realized that InSync doesn't have a rain music video moment. I, I, that's wild. Yeah, and I, 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 it's one of those. What, what is it called? Where it's the the, bar, the Barnstein Bear oh, thing. Oh yeah, it it's the um, Nelson Mandela. Mandela effect. Yes. Yeah. I think that people assume that InSync had a music video where there was rain and they were in front of an airplane. <laughs> Neither of those things happen during an InSync video. <laughs> There's still time. <laughs> There's still time. <laughs> Who knows what this uh, reunion will entail. Um, but yeah, the Lou Pearlman Easter egg, the Backstreet Boy Easter egg with the, the airplane was a nice touch. <laughs> uh, fans have been asking, though, and debating whether or not that's actually JC singing. I think that absolutely is. And I, I, I listen, unfortunately, listen to that track way too much. <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure I detected his background vocals as well. Okay. I, I, I can't speak for someone else, but I can't imagine right. being at this point in JC's career and agreeing to do that and being like, yeah, but you can just right. dub my vocals. Right. And I, I think that people don't realize that we haven't heard JC sing on a recording in quite some time. And absolutely. his voice has absolutely changed. And we, we know this because of the musical, which we can now get into. Heck yeah. I watched some of the short clips that got posted. Incredible though, right? Oh, absolutely. And <sighs> like, uh, how early was it announced? How did, do you know any of the details? like that so there was a press release about the festival on broadwayworld.com on july 30th that mentioned jc's involvement at the ojai playwriters conference only three days prior to the event jc did not promote the event himself someone messaged me about it and was like hey do you know anyone out in la i found this because i have a google alert with jc's name and i'm like i do too this didn't come up (laughs) But I messaged my podcasting friend, Leah, over at the Ashley and Jessica cast. And I was like, aren't you in LA? And she's like, yeah, what's going on? And I'm like, JC is doing a playwriters conference. It's for charity. It's in Ojai. You have to go. He's going to be performing. And she's like, no way. (laughs) So Leah is actually doing her own own episode on the whole entire experience so I don't want to speak on her behalf but she had an amazing time she released some of the clips she got to meet JC get photos with him and I'm so happy for her that she was able to do that that's incredibly cool yeah there were a couple other fans there that were LA based that also made the trip out to Ojai as well so excited for them so jealous I'm so jealous (laughs) I hope that he does other playwriters conferences because primarily on the east coast I don't know maybe but if it wasn't a Wednesday, I totally would have flown out know, there, honestly. I know, I <laughs> know. Again, with enough heads up, I'd be like, yeah, I'm there in no time. Yeah, and again, enough heads up, I need like I need like a week. Yeah, 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 exactly. But, yeah. I mean, I was actually looking at flights and they were pretty yeah. cheap. And I was like, I would I if that. it wasn't last minute. <laughs> Next time. Check out the Ashley and Jessica's podcast for all the details on Leah's experience. But we found out from this People article that he's actually working on two musicals. He's working on both Wonderland, which we found out from our own investigative journalism, as well as Playing With Fire, which is the Frankenstein story that he did in Ojai. He's kind of had a history of wanting to do a concept album. And he has done a couple of interviews back in 
2008, 2007, 2009, talking about the Kate album and wanting to make it more of a concept album. And I can't help but think of Claudio Sanchez, Coheed and Cambria, and his whole thing with the concept album and the whole stories surrounding the albums. And I was like, I bet JC's a Coheed fan. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that, especially with those vocals. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ah, uh, that's way funny. <laughs> Also, JC totally looks like I know as he's going. That's exactly what's in my head. (laughs) Exactly what's in my head is that he just like fits right in. He really does. So the last topic about JC that I wanted to get into, and this is kind of a much bigger topic, but it's about AI songs that have Mm -hmm. come out using JC's vocals, and we can literally do an entire podcast episode about. AI in music, but it literally within the past few weeks, I think just because JC's name has been coming up much more on social media, people are using JC's vocals in AI songs. Wanted to get your thoughts on that. It's so cool. I didn't know about this at all until you sent me these notes earlier, but I'm a strange person to weigh in on this because I'm actually very pro AI Mm -hmm. in the creative arts. Mm -hmm. As a photographer, there's actually not that there's a hard divide, but there is a lot of people in my field who are deeply opposed to AI created art for understandable reasons, including that it just limits our working opportunities. Mm -hmm. With the success of ChatGBT, there's been plenty of people, copywriters and stuff like that, who just lost their jobs and you know, pay went way down and stuff like that because computer can take care of it for them. I'm really pro exploring what we can create with AI. Am I interested in hearing a radio hit that was totally generated by a computer? No. And I'm so interested in seeing how people can push the limits of what we've previously been able to do. Mm. It also, I think, is a cool way of, because up until now, right, really only JC was able to hear what JC could and couldn't do I really like the idea that while his voice is his own, other people can uh, can take it and, and see what the limits are. Regardless, I think, of how anyone feels about AI, I think it's a really interesting experiment to kind of investigate because these tracks that are AI-generated of JC singing, they're missing something. Yeah. And it's the emotion that JC conveys so well. And these AI songs lack those emotions entirely. So it's just, it's interesting to see the limitations that AI actually has. And and it's very evident with AI JC songs. That makes sense. I'm going to tie this to visuals because I can. And I don't know if you know, but AI generated visuals, it's very difficult to get hands right. Fingers Mm. look bonkers yeah for me right now it's like the perfect stage because we all have these tools on our computer and can create ai generated images and they're nowhere near perfect yet and so Mm -hmm. it's it's really fun for me it's such a specific period of history and at at very soon these issues would be resolved but however right now the hands are crazy because fingers move independently and they're different lengths and they interact differently and so it's hard for a computer to read that data and present a perfect hand at the end of it so Mm -hmm. if you're doing an ai generated image that focuses on a human often the hands are a mess and or you should just take the hand out of the image altogether of course there's workarounds etc 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 but i think of that in musical terms and it's the same thing right it's it's nuance it's small detail but it's something we all know which is you know the emotions of a vocalist but to a computer those vocals are just more sounds and so right. uh, they it can't necessarily register the emotion and it can't register how hands work <laughs> <laughs> and and that will be resolved at some point right soon yeah but right now i think it's like kind of fun to be in the stage where yeah we haven't figured that out yet so let's get into the Pop 2000 hey. review and our story. So let's start off with what is Pop 2000? So the Pop 2000 tour delivers the TRL moments that will bring you right back to the early 2000s. Their lineup includes BB Mac, Chris Kirkpatrick of NSYNC, O-Town, Ryan Comprera, and LFO. It's interesting, though, because it's all men in this lineup. Absolutely. I'm curious what you think which female artists would go really well within the pop 2000 lineup it's tough because obviously i mean 
how many of them are still making music? Dream's gone. Right. I would love to see Dream, Dream on the Pop 2000 tour. 3LW? Oh, I would love to see 3LW. <laughs> um, 3LW would, would kill it. Absolutely. Who's Say La Vie? Why can't I think of that? Bewitched. I would love to see Bewitched. That would be awesome. Would they be just reunited. Fun. That's perfect. Yeah. But you have it. There's just like a, in, uh, a Bewitched is probably the perfect level for that tour because you have Britney, who's who's way too big still. Mm-hmm. Christina, who's way too big. You have Spice Girls, who are doing solo tours, selling out like huge yeah. areas. It, and, and then you have like the forgotten solo acts who right. uh, maybe had one hit and don't necessarily have a place on that tour there there aren't too many acts that fall on the in the same realm that they'd be a good fit but you're right it's it's all it is all men yeah so one constructive criticism (laughs) i would say let's get into like our story of getting there first impressions how we got press passes all that fun stuff so Matt Raffle, like we said at the beginning of the podcast, hooked us up with Press Passage. Thank you again, Matt. And I actually forgot to tell Matt that you're a photographer. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> so- okay. We, we hadn't even discussed whether I was there officially as a photographer. I just thought it made sense to bring right. my camera. <laughs> you were just like, I'm going to bring my camera. And I'm like, cool. Not thinking that I had to get additional permission for the photographer access, but... <laughs> we made it work. We totally made it work. Yeah. Matt allowed us to be backstage and gave Sasha all of the access to go wherever Sasha wanted to go. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> The staff at Indian Ranch, I can't remember the person's name, but he was just like, listen, someone might give you a hard time for being up here. Just tell them I sent you. <laughs> it was like, you got it, bud. It was so nice. Yeah. Sasha took some amazing photos. So check out our Instagram for all of the photos that Sasha made because they came out awesome. Thank you. So, yeah, we, I don't think I've ever been to Webster in Massachusetts before. Uh... (laughs) It's very, it's very Massachusetts specific thing in that it was odd to drive by a gun store and a smoke shop and all these things and then pull into Indian Ranch. Yep. We are very much city people (laughs) for sure. And I will admit that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, so for those who don't know, Webster is south central Massachusetts. Yeah, like almost in Connecticut. Almost in Connecticut. And it does it. It feels feels very far away from Boston. <laughs> but I think the overall experience, and I know that we talked about this at the show, but there really is such a freedom to allowing yourself to just enjoy this music absolutely and there is just something like letting people just enjoy things and feel good without any sort of judgment it's very cool to be in a venue literally or figuratively but in a venue where everybody understands and everybody's there for the same appreciation a lot of people I'm going to unfortunately use the phrase fangirl because I don't have a good substitute right now. But people fangirled kind of hard in a really endearing way. Yeah. Arms in the air, collapsing into each other, singing along to every word. Yeah. And it's, again, it's 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 freeing. You don't get to, you don't get to do that that often. For sure. I really liked a portion of O-Town set where, again, I think it's just an indication that they know where they're at. They know who their fans are right now. It's all very realistic, but they're like, hey, hey, if you run up to the stage right now and you have your phone out, we're going to take it for a minute. We're going to take a selfie and we're going to film some stuff. And it's it's like, yeah, because they're not on some level where they're untouchable and they can't engage with their fans that way. And at the same time, it means so much to the people there who willingly participate in that. For sure. I probably made their entire summer. It's, it's, I, it's really fun to watch that happen. And then beautiful. I watched Trevor go up and get the person doing sound in some of his videos and there's some engagement there and there were a way that they wouldn't be on a normal big arena tour and yeah, they walked off stage a lot to get drinks of water and came back on. It was it's really casual and really sincere on so many levels and that's both for the performers and the audience and it's it's just such a nice experience. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about of safe spaces. Yeah. And there's so little safe, truly, truly safe spaces within our world. And especially if you come from any sort of marginalized group, it's so nice to have these moments, even if they're, you know, just for three hours to just feel like 
you have no shame in enjoying something that you truly enjoy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I had a little like I posted on my Instagram, I think to I can't remember if it was just close friends only or whatever, but I co- I posted on my Instagram story just being like, oh, on stage with Chris Kirkpatrick in O-Town right now. And so many people who have known me for that long hit me up and were just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> they were just so happy for me and knew what a big deal that was. And, and that's that's fun. And it's also, again, just adulthood and knowing how the world works and being sure of yourself and all these things. There's not like a you and I are up there and we're on stage and you do this podcast and it just it all makes sense how we got up there and you're not or at least for me there's no like I feel because I'm up there taking photos I'm up there with a press pass that is my profession I feel like yeah I can run around on stage and I can take photos I know what I'm doing I know how we got there and all that stuff but there's a very fun and again you know how the world works we talked to the manager and we talked to the security and we followed protocol and all that stuff. That's how the world works. You're not some 12-year-old who's like, oh my God, how did that person get up there? Right. You're on the other end of it and you're like, oh, this is how things work. However, from, a, you know, you take a big, big step back. You take a bird's eye view and it's just like, yeah, here we are. Two people who really liked pop music and connected over that among many other things when we were younger. Yeah. And now here we are on stage together with all those pop stars. Pretty cool. And it's fun. It was really fun. It's just fun. I, I it was so, it's such a happy experience yeah i feel like we for a brief moment in time just went back to our 12 13 year old selves when we first met because yeah. we first met and bonded over in sync i love these reunion tours everybody's doing them i'm not sick of them i'm a little over nostalgia as a way of marking up prices but beyond yeah. that i love it it's still music i really connect to in a way that there's tons of new music out there that I haven't felt that emotional connection to anymore yeah. and I don't bond with new people over new music anymore I I, I don't know if I've aged out of it or mm. I'm not seeking that out anymore or what's happening yeah. but it is fun to go on stage and again look back at you for certain songs or like walk up to you and we do we're doing little coordinated <laughs> dancing it's like oh you can still have those moments together right. it's it's great and i'm so grateful for things like pop 2000 for presenting us with them i know and i'm so grateful that we reconnected yeah same because we didn't talk for a long time yeah i feel like we would message every now and then but it was just really cool to be able to reconnect in this way yes i agree yeah i'm very happy about it yeah so we get to pop 2000 we get on stage we're backstage and if any of our listeners were there yes that was us on stage (laughs) (laughs) and ryan cabrera is playing so ryan cabrera is the singer songwriter behind ubiquitous ubiquitous wow that's hard to say (laughs) ryan cabrera you might know him from on the way down true shine on he had his 2004 album take it all away which hit number eight on the billboard top 200 He was also featured heavily on MTV's Ashley Simpson show and The Hills. So his set list consisted of several songs, including 40 Kinds of Sadness, Exit to Exit, True, which was actually his biggest hit, surprisingly. And then a remix cover of Slide and Semi-Charged Life. And there was a reason behind him doing that. So during the show, before he starts this part of the set, Ryan Cabrera is talking about how he dedicates these songs to his mentor he doesn't name the mentor and then he starts doing these songs and it was interesting because he was on the ashley simpson show a lot he was close to the simpson family i was like is this song going to be dedicated to joe simpson and is he going to do an ashley simpson song nope he did a goo goo dolls song so apparently and i was looking up as to why like what is the connection between ryan cabrera and the goo goo dolls and John Resnick was actually a mentor to him, and he actually produced Ryan's debut album, which I didn't know. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's funny, because A, I think of these things in separate lanes. I think of Ryan Cabrera, right, like pop, and then we, we know that he went out to the Dashboard Confessional show that right. night. He and, exists in both worlds. And when you hear his music, it's obviously very influenced by that. It's a slightly different presentation of the same type of music. Right. My brother was in here playing drums with us recently, and through three degrees of separation, I know someone who is dating Darius Rucker. You're talking about really? how, yeah. Um, it's like it's not someone I know, but it's someone someone I know knows because he had a whole thing where he was like, "I'm going to Fenway Park because 
uh, she's dating Darius and now I guess I'm hanging out with Hootie and it was a whole thing. <laughs> and what my brother said, and it's very rightfully so, is that when Darius Rucker is... Uh, Darius Rucker? Darius Rucker, yeah. Darius Rucker. <laughs> shows how much I know. Darius Rucker, uh, when Darius Rucker did his solo debut, he was like, yeah, I'm country now because I've been country all along. Right. And my brother was saying, like, yeah, you go back, you listen to the Hootie albums and they're they're country albums. Right. They're like in the guise of pop, but it's it's country. And that's how I feel about Ryan Cabrera's music is it's in it's in the pop realm. It's in the guise of pop. But Google Dolls and Matchbox 20, that's all pop music, too. It's just right. presented through a different lens. Right. And and so you hear definitely a lot of the influence. And it makes so much sense that that John Resnick makes so much sense that Resnick produces album. Is it, is it John Resnick or Johnny Resnick? I always thought it was Johnny Resnick, but I saw John and I was like, does he just go by John now? I yeah, could have swore it was Johnny Resnick. Now. Yeah. Like, it's Deborah Gibson. (laughs) So he ended, of course, with On the Way Down. And he makes this joke that so many people, he said this on Lance's podcast, that so many people think that the name of the song is All the Way Down Uh and the lyrics are All the Way Down, which is so funny. I always have to kind of like think which one is it actually. Yeah, same. (laughs) So, yeah, it's just really funny. But I really appreciated during Ryan's set that he actually had a drummer. So there was like a live instrument element to his set as opposed to the other sets and no shade but it was just it was mostly like a backing track for a lot of the drumming mostly with with the other artists performing so appreciated that and i understand that for o-town but i've said this a few times is you're bringing a drummer on tour he's being paid to be on tour you're you're lugging all that gear city to city i don't pretend to understand the nuances of of the contracts or what's going on there. Yeah. But BB Mac played with a backing drumming track. And right. it was like, why not just have ha- Ryan? Because they had, they had their guitars live. They right. had some handheld percussion instruments live. Right. The only backing thing they really had going on, they had the bass and then they had the drums. It's like, why not just play with the drummer? It would have, right. it would have been that much more engaging. Yeah. Um, and I, I can't pretend to understand that line of thought or know, you know, the complications of arranging something like that. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I agree. I think, I think the energy of Ryan set was, was very high and he was a great opener. Yeah. And a huge part of that was having the live instrumentation. For sure. BB Mac. Ugh. So good. We loved BB Mac. <laughs> so BB Mac, for those who don't know, is a British band consisting of Mark Berry, Christian Burns, and Stephen McNally. They were formed in Liverpool in 1996, and they've sold over three million albums worldwide between 1999 and 2003. McNally came up with, or I'm not going to call him McNally. Stephen came up with the group's band name. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. Um, Stephen came up with the group's band name, which is a combination of the first letters of the band's surnames. So Burns, Barry, and McNally, B.B. Mac. Like a naming convention of 2000s pop music. Exactly. Kind of similar to another boy band of that time <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> so the band first achieved success with their singles Back Here, which was their biggest hit by far. They released some other songs that you may know of, such as Out of My Head, Still on Your Side, The Ghost of You and Me. All of those songs that they played during their set, which was amazing. The the set was incredible. Yeah, it was. Again, a fun thing about being mid-30s and experiencing this. Um, everybody got way more attractive. I know like in the <laughs> traditional realm of pop music, they are less attractive now. But in real life, they're all way more attractive than they ever were previously and then i'm going back after the show i'm going back and i'm googling bb mac and being like wait a minute were these guys always good looking they were they they were always handsome (laughs) they were never they just it's just it's such a polished thing i had the same thing with o-town where i was like what is happening wait was o-town hot and what i think it really is is now they look like real people and and before they're so polished and so over the top and they're so prettied up in a way that's just like not interesting. interesting to me at all not appealing to me at all however it was very fun to be there and be like this is, we're on stage everybody looks great i'm having a good time we've got an amazing view <laughs> i think um mark berry is like a bodybuilder oh yeah i i looked him up yeah he i think yeah uh, trevor from o-town has like a similar thing they both work out on screen a whole bunch oh yeah yeah this was actually our second time seeing BB Mac. Yes. Which was pretty cool. It felt very full circle. 
because they opened up for NSYNC during the Pop Odyssey tour in 2001. And we were both at that show, which was pretty cool. Again, you, you said this previously, but the live drummer was definitely missing. It was but definitely missing. This thought just came into my head. BB Mac was kind of like a temporary add to Pop 2000. I wonder if it's because they were only there for like a few shows. Sure. Logistically, it didn't make sense for them to have a drummer. Absolutely. But I couldn't help but think... It kind of reminded me of the dynamic of the Jonas Brothers, where there's three of them, two of them are playing guitars, and one has some sort of percussion instrument. It just was very reminiscent of that. I was like, huh, I never really thought of B.B. Mac being kind of an earlier version of the Jonas Brothers. So That's fun. Yeah. It is. There's not too many bands. I mean, there's tons of bands in the world that have that set up, but there's not, again, when we're talking like lenses and framing and the silos of music genres right not too many people doing that thing with that setup exactly there was something that happened to the audience when back here was played yeah there was just an energy people got so excited and i'm so glad that they played out of my heart because i love that song it's a great song still on your side I remembered every single lyric of that song, yeah. too, which is, I wasn't expecting that. It was just, it was really, really fun. Loved their set. That was, like, a fun, like, personal phenomenon of the Pop 2000 tour was, if you asked me, I'd be like, oh, I think I know one or two BV Mac songs. Um, I probably know some words to LFO songs. And then it's just, like, and you're singing along <laughs> to every single word. Yep. It's, it's, it's a really specific joy. It was so much fun. <laughs> and you look out, and there's just a sea of people doing the exact same thing. Crazy. It was crazy. LFO, one of Sasha's favorites. <laughs> I do love LFO. <laughs> they are an American pop and hip hop band formed in good old Massachusetts, consisted of Brad Fischetti, Rich Cronin, Brian Briz Gillis. And when Brian or Briz left the group, he was later replaced by Devin Lima. I actually think that Devin is probably one of the most underrated vocalists within that time. I agree. He was such an interesting and amazing addition to that band. After Briz left LFO, they actually kept a lot of his vocals in the debut album. Briz was such a big piece of that band, even though he left due to creative differences. This kind of proves my theory that all boy bands are connected. Hear me out. (laughs) All boy bands are connected. So Brad was good friends with Danny Wood of New Kids on the Block. Danny Wood produced a lot of the songs on their first album. And you probably know this. It was recorded at Underground Studios in Needham. Oh, that's cool. It makes perfect sense. (laughs) They actually make a nod to their relationship with Danny in Summer Girls. And that's why Hmm. there is a New Kids on the Block reference, which is pretty cool. Fun fact, did you know that the Jonas Brothers actually covered an LFO song? I didn't. They covered Six Minutes. And I actually, I hate to say it, but I actually think the Jonas Brothers did it better. But Rich was part of the the process of them creating that song, which cool. I think is pretty cool. But they made it like a pop punk ska kind of song, which, cool. I, which works so well with, if you hear the original song, I was like, yep, this. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The way that the Jonas Brothers did it made so much sense. I was like, this definitely has Rich Cronin written all <laughs> over it for sure. But it's just interesting how all the boy bands are connected. They really I, I was just going to say that just plays into your, your continued theme. Yep. Yep, absolutely. We could go into Rich as a songwriter yeah. and how he has non sequiturs. So specifically <laughs> within Summer Girls, he has all these non sequiturs within the song and the song is 80 percent gibberish basically well so it's not so actually it's kind of genius <laughs> i i think at face I, value i saw these in your notes earlier and I, I like had like a laughing fit i was like i wonder if rich cronin's writing style has ever been called genius <laughs> no but honestly i think that at face value it seems like gibberish and it's just nonsense that he came up with in his head but actually a lot of this stuff are things that remind him of summer, that specific <laughs> summer of like 1996, 97. Just very specific things. It's just like these are all things associated with his summer. So to kind of put all those things together in a way that's memorable, I think that's the genius part of it. That's a cool framing. I yeah. like that. <laughs> and actually, on, honestly, Harry Styles is a very similar thing with his writing style too in the song just keep driving it's obviously a song 
that he wrote while he was on some sort of drive. And he has these single word setting things within his lyrics. And it's cocaine, side boob, choker, sea view. (laughs) That is such a Rich Cronin thing. You're like making all these observations and putting it into a set of lyrics. So I don't know. I just thought that that was kind of cool. I like it. Yeah. The genius of Rich Cronin songwriting was perfectly articulated by songwriter Marielle Loveland, who posted this on her TikTok. I've been dying to talk about how LFO Summer Girls is not as random as it appears to be. For those who don't know, I'm a songwriter from New York. Follow me for more content like this. So we all know the singer is from Massachusetts. This song serves as sort of a stream of consciousness memory of his summer spent as a teen in the early 80s in the Cape Cod area, meeting a girl who vacationed there for the summer. So let's get into it. By the way, this is my karaoke song. I'm obsessed with it. So right at the beginning, he tells us what we're going to get. Do you remember when we met that summer? This is all going to be about summer stuff, specifically Massachusetts summer stuff. New Kids on the Block, super popular band at that time. Try to picture someone thinking back about what was on the radio when they were thinking of a good memory. New Kids on the Block. Also, one of the guys from this band helped make this album. Chinese food makes me sick. Seems random, but not random. If you consider the fact that during the summer, there was a Chinese food restaurant that was like a hangout for teens. So when you remember the Chinese food restaurant, looking back in your past, you really just think that. Though he admitted he would have taken out that line if he knew, you know, it would have gotten famous. Anyway, girls stop by for the summer. It's Cape Cod. Abercrombie and Fitch was the hot thing then, which I think is what popularized the song. Anyway, moving on. I'm gonna start with the second verse because it's my favorite. Off that, we have Cherry Pez, Cold Crush. Crush is like an orange soda, I think. Just sweet snacks a teen would eat in the summer. Very 80s, 90s-ish. Rock studs were a type of sandal that was popular at the time. Something you would wear when you were hanging out during the summer. Boogie, you know, so they were doing hanging out, dancing, whatever. With the always been hip to the b-boy style, he lets us know that he is super in tune with music. He, he loves music. So we're gonna get a lot of those references. Like Love New Edition and the Candy Girl, that was a song that was popular. Candy Girl is a New Edition song that was popular in 1983. It makes sense he would think back on that song he loved in his childhood and remember that it reminded him of this woman. This stuff isn't really that random until you get to there was a good man named Paul Revere. That seems crazy random, but it's actually a reference to the above line, b-boy style, where he's talking about things in music and breakdancing culture because it's a reference to the Beastie Boys. Between the hip hop, it's just pieces of memory. Larry Bird played for the Boston Celtics, which was the team that he liked being a child from Boston. The second reference seems random, but it's actually a reference that ties in the basketball idea, the Charlotte Hornets. I actually think it's really brilliant because not only does it tie it in, but it keeps the story going. They're now drinking alcohol and getting a little buzzed. So I'm moving on to what I think is the most iconic part. So you got a bridge here that talks about summer girls come and summer girls go like you would if you were vacationing with your family on Cape Cod. The part I used to think was random was that I'll steal your honey like I stole your bite, but it actually relates to the hip hop song mentioned two lines above because it's another Beastie Boy reference. So yeah, this song is not that random. It's just more stream of consciousness memories from a period of time in this person's life, which is why I love it. Every other time. That's just such a great pop song. And you have so many memories tied to that song too. The Also, the so the first album is, is so goofy and so Summer Girls and West Side Story both being great examples of the non sequiturs. Mm-hmm. Every other time doesn't have that. It's It's structured like a real pop song without that lfo touch and i don't i don't think that's a bad thing i go back and I listen to that that song could be mainstream right now it's truly a great song i've had a lot of fun playing along with it recently it's a really good point i think it should have been a bigger hit than it was i know i'm surprised it wasn't i feel like it was a pretty decent hit on trl looking back at all of these what made the billboard 100 chart I was like, I feel like these things were way higher, but I, but in my right. mind, it was, that might not be a good judge of it. Right. And I also think that the billboard charts never really quite indicated how big something was because it was mostly young people. They weren't really taking the hype of what young people were actually listening to into consideration. And they weren't taking TRL into consideration either because that was mostly the youths that were voting on these videos. Absolutely. Um, so it was just like in my mind, that was a pretty decent hit. Unfortunately, a big piece of the LFO set is in memoriam. Briz actually just recently passed earlier this year. Devin Lima passed away in 2017 from cancer. And Rich Cronin passed away in September 2010, also due to cancer. So Brad is the one remaining member left of that group. It was such an emotional set. I know specifically for you because you were definitely a bigger LFO fan than (laughs) I ever was, but 
I just I, I, I saw you get emotional during the show and I just want to know what you were feeling. What was it that really got to you? I always loved LFO not in any sort of fanatic way like you might call my affinity for sync, but just in a way that I always deeply appreciated LFO. I had, you know, both albums. I listened to them a lot, even in high school. I mean, my best friend to this day, who I, I didn't grow up with, we met in high school. And so it's kind of, again, at that point, NSYNC's already broken up. I'm not super involved in pop music anymore. Uh, every other time is like our, it's our song. Keep it up, homegirl is her catchphrase. I love that. LFO's just always kind of, you know, been there so many stories of people going to the Hanover Mall which was a, <laughs> a not a cool mall it was it was one level it was department stores and that's all you had <laughs> it was I have to go pick up something quick I might as well go to the Hanover Mall mall and um so many stories of friends bumping into Rich Cronin there growing up yeah because he's from Kingston yeah I have a very specific fondness for LFO and I really like them so I it's I don't think, especially after Rich, Rich's death, I don't think I ever thought I'd see Elifa. So it's it's a lot of stuff like that where you're in this crowd of people and you're in this sea of people and Brad's performing and he's getting to really honor his bandmates and he's singing these songs that I literally grew up with, right? Like from elementary school, I've been listening to this music. And it's not even a Boston Pride thing. It's not some specific honor, the local musician guy. It's they're on this national tour and he's getting to go out there and still perform despite the deaths of his friends and bandmates. And I think that's incredibly cool and a very neat way of honoring Rich and Devin, which was um, they, had a, they had a couple pairs of sneakers on a pole that he would periodically lift into the air. It's very cool. It's such a specific and functional tribute, and it's so visually apparent what's going on yeah. um and it was it was also allowed him to engage with the with the sneakers and again with their memories it was really really neat yeah i mean i i can't even imagine the strength that brad has within him to be able to do this he's every weekend he's really religious and uh, like i oh, think yeah. maybe find some sort of i suspect maybe find some sort of peace in that yeah sure that's how he finds his strength I also love that O-Town is kind of supporting Brad within this, both vocally and mentally and emotionally, yeah. too. There's actually a history of Rich Cronin working with O-Town during their early years. He was on episodes of Making the Band, cool. helping them write and produce songs for their debut album. So it's just it feels really nice and full circle. There's lots of hilarious physical gimmicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just miming sitting on a bench right <laughs> and that that goes throughout the whole set it oh, was really fun yeah it, it was not it was not um tightly choreographed yeah it was it was goofy i liked how the lfo portion kind of came in the middle of o-town set because it i don't want to say it brought everything down but but there is you know kind of some snap of reality that happens during that portion but at the same time, you're loving it because you love all this music. It's such feel-good music. Honestly, I think that the LFO portion was the highlight for me of the entire show. I came away on an LFO high. <laughs> I'm, I was never a big O-Town fan. Um, no. And so O-Town being the headliner was not particularly enticing mm -hmm. for me. And then and then suddenly I'm seeing LFO. And it's, yeah, uh, yeah it, was, it was great. It was, again, it was so much fun, so much nostalgia. That was the set during which I'm texting friends, you know, <laughs> and and you would think Chris Kirkpatrick, but it's like with Chris Kirkpatrick, you kind of know what you're getting. Right. And with LFO, a, a lot of that was unexpected for me. It was mm. so wonderful. Yeah. O-Town, for those who don't know, they started in 1999. You may know them from making the band. The group consists of Eric Michael Estrada, Trevor Pennick, Jacob Underwood, and Dan Miller. And they were active from about 2000 to 2003. Ashley Parker Angel was a member of the group during this time, but he did not rejoin after the group reunited in 2013. They have released four albums. Their self-titled debut album came out in 2001, which was quickly followed up by their sophomore album, O2, in 2002. After the reunion, they released their album, Lines and Circles, in 2014. And in 2019, they released their most recent album, OTWN. O-Town has been performing in the Pop 2000 tour since 2018. I loved O-Town back in the day. Mm. 
they were actually they surprised me at how good they were and it made me think about when I saw them back in 2001 and I remember being so impressed at how good they were as dancers (laughs) where did they play in 2001 they played at Avalon oh wild so again small club small club same same place that josh that's joshua joshua that is your couple name apparently (laughs) (laughs) joshua i had vip i'm not trying to brag here but i did have (laughs) vip my parents knew someone that worked at the avalon and we were still like shoulder to shoulder in vip it wasn't anything special i swear we're just on the list Uh, and we didn't have to wait in line but yeah, I specifically remember being so impressed with how good they were at dancing. In this small stage, they were able to do so much. They impressed me again, and they're well into their 40s at this point. And Jacob, I think, impressed the both of us the most. I agree. And Trevor was amazing, too. And they know how to put on a good show, and they know how to please the audience, right? I I got curious and have, of course, Googled every single person we saw <laughs> since seeing them. And Eric Estrada, mm-hmm. in his Instagram profile, just the first thing is just entertainer. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. Uh, that yeah. is a more accurate description of what the majority of these folks are doing. Right. And and, I, and it's suitable and I think it's perfect. Right. It was, they were entertainers. They were so engaged with the audience. They were all about dancing and performing and putting on a show more so than any sort of musical perfection right. and not to say that the music wasn't good it was great yeah um but it's it's not why you're there and right. i i an embrace of that from them is is so important yeah and i think that they know that too because they didn't really perform many songs from their recent albums they did so many covers <laughs> Yeah, they did all those covers with Chris, and we will get into the whole Chris thing. But actually, on Lance's podcast, I'm bringing so much back to Lance's podcast. You're welcome, Lance, for the free (laughs) publicity. You know, I'm always available for interviews as well. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, Trevor was on Lance's podcast, and Lance had asked if O-Town was coming out with new music because their past couple albums were great. And honestly, they were. They were really impressive. I really like bunch of the songs from OTWN including Off and Hello World I think those are awesome songs but they're not interested in making music anymore it's too much money they enjoy playing the classics yeah. <laughs> like Liquid Dreams um, I don't think they actually enjoy playing that song it seems like they don't but anyway <laughs> they have this kind of legacy band thing going on right now and they're not really interested in doing that One thing about O-Town that I always thought was interesting, though, is that they were much more diverse than a lot of the other boy bands. Yeah. There's a few things that I think O-Town sticks out about during that time, but that's one of them, which was just really cool, especially at that time. Most of the boy bands were very white presenting. Yeah. And then I think that O-Town's lyrics were much more overtly sexual. Absolutely. (laughs) Liquid Dream is still bonkers. (laughs) Digital Get Down honestly has nothing on Liquid Dreams. Absolutely not. I'm like, I can't believe that was the song we spent our time talking about. Liquid Dreams is bonkers. And that's what you say. Maybe they don't enjoy performing anymore, but Jacob was dancing very hard to that song. They know how to entertain and they know what the people like. I really enjoyed their set. I loved the interaction with LFO. And I also loved the Chris aspect of it. Yeah. Bringing in Chris to do a bunch of NSYNC songs. And O-Town gave a little nod to that, too. They were talking about how in order to try out to be on making the band, they all had to sing NSYNC songs, which makes perfect sense. That would have been the industry standard at the time. Right. And now they get to be on stage performing with one of those guys. It just comes full circle, doesn't it? Yeah. So... The O-Town set consisted of Liquid Dreams, which they remixed with Worth It, which I thought was genius. It was very good. Chasing After You, We Fit Together, and then Don't Let Me Down, mixed with Treat You Better, Get Your Freak On, and Cry Me a River, Yeah, which I thought was pretty cool. And then LFO came on, and then they did These Are The Days, After The Lights, and then Playing With Fire, mixed with Good Feeling, mixed with Dynamite, mixed with Heaven, Yeah, which again, great. And then they did All or Nothing at the end. Of course. But in between all that, they brought on Chris and they did Bye Bye Bye, It's Gonna Be Me, 
tearing at my heart. And they did a, a mashup of this. I promise you. And I want something just like this. Yeah. I don't think that worked <laughs> as well as they thought they did. It's two completely different chord progressions, I think. Uh, it seemed awkward to me. Fans loved it, but I was critical of it, <laughs> to be completely honest. I don't know how you felt about it, but... I I actually... I didn't love the mashups in general. <laughs> I understand why they did it that way. And I think, again, to me, it read as O-Town acknowledging that this is where their careers are now and yeah. it's to keep it lively and keep it engaging and all that stuff yeah. rather than play a perfect set list i did not think the mashups were too smooth i did think they were a lot of fun and so i guess that's how i feel about this i promise you too is is we're not we're not seeing in sync and we're not necessarily there to see Yet. a five minute ballad performance Yet. exactly exactly <laughs> I, don't, I don't even want them doing the, this i promise you in full save it <laughs> Save it for when it counts. <laughs> but they did an acapella version of pop, which I don't think NSYNC ever did. Yeah. Which I thought was actually kind of cool. Yeah. And the beatboxing actually seemed to work when it's in an <laughs> acapella setting. Yeah. It, makes, it at least makes more sense. I do have to say, it did make me a little sad that it was just Chris. I know. And he was singing these songs with four other men that were not That were not in sync. Yeah. And uh, O-Town so enjoyable yeah. not as good no but the the thing is i i, I say I, we say that with all the respect in the world because yes. they know that yes they know that they are not as good and they're very good they're <laughs> they just are. not in sync right and of course exactly. and i think to some extent they weren't trying to be in sync and i really appreciate that as For well sure. they For were sure. doing o-town singing in sync songs rather than doing an in sync impression I did think it was really funny. I don't know if you noticed what I was responding to when I turned back to you on stage, but when they were doing Tearing Up My Heart, they started doing the original choreography for Tearing Up My Heart. They were. And I was just hyper aware that they're 40-year-old dudes. I was like, <laughs> are they all going to kneel down and get back up and kneel down and get back up again? Dan Miller. I, I have some photos of it where Dan's just standing above his bandmates, just being like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> She's like, yeah, why is that part of the choreography? It's brutal. I know. Well, they were able to do that they, in their yeah. teens and early 20s. So. I would like to clarify, too, that Chris also did not kneel down and get back <laughs> up and kneel down and get back up again. I think Chris has had, like, knee surgery. I so. fully believe it. <laughs> I just wanted to talk about Chris being a host. Yeah. And his hosting abilities. He's so natural He's at it. He's so natural. And I'm just wondering, because you've been to way more NSYNC shows than I have. I feel like his role was never the host of InSync shows. I feel like they kind of shared responsibilities, but I never remember Chris doing that. Yeah. I feel like it was mostly maybe Lance and, and Joey kind of taking turns, but I don't remember Chris taking on the role of host before. I know. And it's funny, even if you look back at some of the home videos that they released or some of the old behind the scenes footage and stuff like that, it's not that Chris is ever in the background because really JC's in the background. He's just quieter. Chris is often engaged and stuff, but he's he's never a center of attention. It speaks to what I suspect about a lot of NSYNC and, and kind of what I was thinking and watching O-Town is to some extent, if you're Chris, you, you can't have an ego right. about it or not too big a one or you can't be you can't be sensitive about it because you're not the big star in the band. You're not the lead vocalist in the band. You're not necessarily the one people are coming out to see. There's plenty of Chris fans out there, but there, sure. I think you have to be comfortable not being the center of attention. Mm -hmm. And so, but it's also not surprising that Chris is a natural host. For sure. He was great. He's always had a sense of humor. We know this about Chris. Oh, yeah. It makes sense that he's completely comfortable in front of a crowd. Mm -hmm. He really played again into the nostalgia. Who knows if they wrote the jokes or they had someone write the jokes. But even just as I was walking up, I heard the joke about like, hey, you're all out here to see us and now you can drink. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. It's just like, yeah, he, you know the audience. That's exactly for sure, it. For sure. I'm guilty of almost any time Chris Kirkpatrick's name comes up socially which is it was just perhaps not that often but every time Chris Kirkpatrick's name comes up I'm guilty of quoting Eminem because it just rolls off my mouth and there was yeah. a reference to that right. during O-Town's performance yeah and they Trevor all... did a little rap with yeah. that I thought that was great yeah and Chris kind of like frowned really animatedly in the corner and I'm glad that they omitted the uh, Moby part yeah <laughs> they I just agree. stopped it right there I agree <laughs> obviously with this podcast it's made me really dive deep into certain things and I really do believe that Chris's vocals within NSYNC 
really defines the NSYNC sound with his countertenor abilities. Oh, completely. It just adds an extra layer to it that no other boy band that I can think of has. NSYNC just has more of a full vocal structure than other bands. And I do. I think you're right. Nobody else has a Chris. And a lot of them have Joey's and a lot of them have Lance's Mm -hmm. and a lot of them have Justin's Mm -hmm. and a lot of them trying to have JC's. (laughs) Trying. Uh, But nobody else has a Chris. Yeah. Really. I love a Chris lead. I really do. I do too. I think it has to be used um, preciously. Mm-hmm. I think Chris is really the most underrated member of NSYNC. I, I agree. I'm just remembering right now when I texted my family. So I have two brothers, two older brothers and a sister. And when I texted my family thread that I was there and sharing a stage with Chris Kirkpatrick, <laughs> my brother was like, how did that Fu Manskito get up there? <laughs> What a deep cut. Wow, what a reference. Yeah. Did you have any Fu Manskito gear? I did. It was a very nice, like my mom allowed me to specifically seek it out and pay way too much for a crappy piece of clothing. Sorry, Chris. So I tried to get it at JCPenney. It was so expensive. It's so expensive. It wasn't worth the money. It was no, was not. <laughs> Another thing that I, I'm just curious, just because we have both been in the punk and emo scene, is um, wearing t-shirts of yeah. the band. Yeah. And how that's such a controversial thing to do at any sort of rock show to wear the merch of the band that you're seeing. Yeah. You're kind of looked at as an herb. <laughs> <laughs> and But it's encouraged in the pop. It is very much. Like, go hard. Yeah. Yeah. I... I- I loved how many people were wearing NSYNC shirts. I mean, I yeah. think it was the most common merch we saw was NSYNC at Pop 2000. 100%. NSYNC wasn't even performing. <laughs> it was just Chris. It was just Chris. But and a lot of people were wearing new merch. Yeah. It's just fun. It's just fun to see. Is NSYNC merch nostalgia? I worked a photo gig recently and it was media personalities talking to teenagers in a specific setting. And some of the teenagers, one of them I think was wearing maybe a Van Halen shirt. (laughs) And the media personality was talking to the kid wearing the Van Halen shirt and was being like, wait, do you actually like Van Halen? And Mm. the kid didn't know any songs. The kid was probably like 16. And the kid's dad is there as well. And the media personality was like, oh, well, I have teenagers about your age. They're 17. And those are the shirts I see. Leonard Skinner, Van Halen and nirvana all the time and none of the kids listen to that music that's funny and it it makes sense right that even happened when we were growing up Uh, with all the ramones absolutely and there's tons of people who were wearing them who didn't listen to ramones you still see that happen however it doesn't happen with pop music no one's out there like rocking an nsync shirt who who can't name a song it's it's (laughs) not i don't know if that has a place in this podcast it's just like a weird thing it's 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 not something we see. 100% keeping that in. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you see NSYNC Backstreet Boys merch at Target and Walmart now. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. So they basically become the new Ramon shirts. That's I think. okay. So maybe we will start to see it too. Maybe. But I highly doubt that someone has never heard Bye 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 before <laughs> in their life. <laughs> There's That's the difference. A, again, real joy real specific joy in being out in public and then you just catch the second verse of it's gonna be me and you're like oh man makes my day you know within this music journey that i've had the past few years i started re-listening to a lot of the emo music that i was listening to in high school yeah I don't get the same feeling that I do. I agree. I mean, it's a completely different feeling, but it's not a good feeling. And then it's just like, wow, this is why I had anxiety and depression <laughs> in high school. I'm sorry. I just laughed really hard. <laughs> but like, I, I just completely understand what you're saying. I just wonder if I didn't listen to that music, how that would have impacted my mental state. Absolutely. Because I mean, I had fun. Don't get me wrong. But. It didn't bring me the same amount of joy. The whole time you're talking in my head is going, I have such joy tied to this music in a way that I don't with that. Absolutely. Right. It did not bring me the same joy. Right. I enjoyed it, but it did not bring me joy in the way that so much of this pop music has. Yeah. As I'm putting the final edits to this and reflecting on my experience at Pop 2000, and it being a safe space. After this last part of the conversation, I have been reflecting on shows like Warp Tour, a emo punk environment 
that was not safe for a lot of people. So I really want to thank those at Pop2000 for creating a positive and safe space for all to enjoy. Thank you, Sasha, for joining us again. Thank you very much for having me back. So much fun. The listeners absolutely loved you on the last episode. I couldn't not have you again. Thank you. And we'll see you on the NSYNC reunion. Uh, I'll be there every night, wherever it is, all the time. (laughs) They'll have to physically remove me. (laughs) And we're out. I'm so excited. This Must Be Pop is written, produced, and edited by Anna. Our theme song, Teenage Girls Made Rock and Roll, is written and performed by Madam Daly. Add us on Instagram for more content and to be the first to find out which band will be featured in the next episode at This Must Be Pop Pod. That's This Must Be P-O-P-P-O-D on Instagram. Got a question or suggestion? Email us at thismustbepoppodcast at gmail.com. West Side Story, the like chicken, like a bacon, like a blah, 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 yeah, like yeah. that oh, whole yeah. portion. I mean, that's a skill. <laughs> not that it means anything, but 20 years of listening to that song, I cannot sing along with that part. <laughs> <laughs>